0: There isn't anything more than that. But sometimes we hear something that we haven't heard before. And there's like a collective <gasps> that I feel. And I, th- and I think about it, how do people remarkably heal from impossible things? And I think sometimes they actually don't. And we don't it's never ever gone completely. I think remarkably and amazingly people sometimes put themselves together and have lives, even what we would look at as successful and productive lives. People survive holocausts of all kinds, and and at some time, many of them, somehow the mind uh, the mind is incredibly capable of resilience. And sometimes it isn't, from one person to the next. I remember being struck some years ago by reading a book about um, the, uh, the, the study in the science of mourning, M-O-U-R-I-N-G. And when people began to study that, they uh, offered a kind of a calendar for how long People should mourn, and there were all kinds of guidelines, like usually by da 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 one year or one one of each season. Or, but you know, I, it seemed to me at that time. It seems to me now that uh, how can you know how long it takes anybody to heal from anything, and what does it mean heal? Not be uh, to be able to stand up again and put on your shoes again, or uh, eat something again, or uh, laugh again. Um, In the middle of being hugely bereft, you don't imagine that will ever happen again. Um, I suppose if we were thinking of wisdom or paramitas we would think that the parameter of patience shows itself in the middle of that. Obliquely, a person I don't think would think to themselves, I'm being tremendously patient and waiting for my regular mind to come back to me. But it's patient, patience as a manifestation of wisdom, I think, that causes us to stand up in the morning and put on our shoes again and do the next day that something in our, uh, it's not very Buddhist to say soul, something in our essence knows, if you put on your shoes enough times, um, the situation will not have been changed or renovated, but the agony of this moment will be a diminished agony, something like that. I'll put on my shoes easier a month from now than I do now. Something like that. Knowing about, um, you know, the, the adage about time healing all wounds, I'm not so sure. But I think that uh, with time the wound is in a different context if it's, if it's held and comforted and consoled. And on some level I think we all understand uh the the frailty of um the frailty with which our lives are held together, you know, that uh here was Phyllis. I'm, I'm, please tell Phyllis that as a group we're yeah. thinking about her. Yes. But you know, it it could have been otherwise. She could have really been terribly hurt, or somebody could have been terribly, terribly hurt. And um so you know, sometimes when we know someone is sick, we know well it might not come out, they might not heal. But somebody well, all of a sudden, something happens to them. If we thought all the time about uh, how tenuous it is to have a life and depend on it, I don't know that we'd ever go any place, and we're not safe at home anyway. Anyway, <laughs> who knows what could happen? I was very struck. By um, I was thinking about which story to tell you first, but I'll tell you this. I was very struck by the human gesture of hugging. I haven't watched the television since I gave it up um, after the last election, but I watched yesterday for hours waiting to see those minors come up. Um, Because I just, I was so moved by watching people's faces and um, uplifted in a certain way. I could watch my mind having its two two conversations, as it always has when there's a mind disaster. One of the conversations is, what are these people doing a half a mile under the ground and taking their lives in their hands and... Ruining their lungs and there are other ways to have energy and when are the energy controllers of the world Going to really allow us to move forward so that people don't have to risk their lives be breathing and those fumes and being on the ground and taking the chance on accidents and be fouling the atmosphere So I have the part of my mind that says It shouldn't have happened. But again, I said earlier I've decided to try to watch my mind every time it says that shouldn't have happened or be happening, because it's a it's a it's a it's just a completely deluded thought. It shouldn't be. It is, you know. Uh, and what I really mean is, I wish it wasn't happening, but it is happening. So if I'm saying things and doing things that might lead to a world where that kind of activity isn't happening, that's good. But in the meantime, this happened. And in the meantime. Uh, I, 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 know, uh, I know some facts I didn't know. There were 33 men down there. The oldest one was 63 years old. The, uh, uh, they were down there 68 days. A thousand engineers and doctors were either assembled there or contributed to building that capsule and excavating and getting them out and taking care of their health needs while they were down there. One of the men down in the mine was diabetic. So sending down diabetic supplies and bringing them up. Nobody died, nobody died. I'm gonna start to cry in a minute when I tell you that the first photo image I saw from down in the mine, they have a camera down in the mine, the photo image is I I think the, the, the recognized leader of the group, His name was. Did not get his last name written down. Mario something. He was the leader of the group. I think he's a 63-year-old man. I think he was the supervisor of the crew, and he's holding up a sign that said "Estamos bien." Mm -hmm. Estamos bien los uh, uh, 33. We well. You know, I thought to myself, "There, my hair stands on end. Doesn't yours?" "Estamos bien." They're in a mine. 63 days, eight days after they're down there waiting to maybe get out and to be able to say estamos bien. Somebody said there were 33 men down here, but there are actually 34 presences down here, 33 men in the presence of God. However we understand the presence of God, uh, that makes sense to me that, that you say 33 men in the presence of hope Thirty-Three Men and the Presence of um, Expectation, Thirty-Three Men and the Presence of Patience. Um, One of the commentators this morning said everybody had a role, and by this time I stopped copying it all down. Somebody was the group poet, somebody was in charge of who does what job, somebody was the supervisor of the crew, somebody was the self appointed spiritual leader who kept up the prayers and sort of kept up the, the words that kept the spirit up. And some other, you know how it is with CNN, they always call in a commentator from everybody's to comment. And uh, commentators saying things like in a society, any society, things go better if people organize themselves so they say, okay, you do this, you do that, you do that, you do that, you do that. And everybody is doing something not for themselves. They're doing something for the whole group. And then the whole idea is the whole group could get out. Estamos bien, all of us. Uh, bien. I mean, that, and that they chose the healthiest ones to come out first. And I thought, well, wait, wait. But they, they chose the healthiest ones to test the coming out process and to see if they made it. And somebody said, you know, it's a tiny capsule. Did anybody not see it? It's a tiny capsule. And uh, they were, were, the commentators were remarking, you know, that a person couldn't be claustrophobic. But these are minors. They've been... (laughs) 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 <laughs> the the man who's sixty three has been doing has been mining since he's twelve. Then you know they're used to being underground. They don't have the kind of mind that balks at that. And I could see that to be in that thing for fifteen minutes is nothing compared to being be underground for sixty three days. But the gesture of hugging, which I I watched and uh, who else watched. You see, so here comes who didn't see.
1: It's going to be on all day today too. It I'm can't sure. It's going to take another twenty something hours. It's going
0: because it takes 15 minutes, 18 minutes to hour, to get a person up, and yeah, two an hour about. And people went down. That was another thing. People volunteered to go down, to be down there, to to help make sure that they were closing the door of the capsule right and locking it right and I, I, uh, the first man who came out was Florencio a- 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 Avalas. and Florencio Avalas whose brother is also down there, was 31 year is 31 <coughs> years old. And he had a wife and two children and I'd show you a close-up of his little boy standing there as he came out with a hard hat. And getting so overwhelmed and bursting out crying, and the first thing that this person did, he came out of his capsule, and he picks up his little boy and is holding him, you know, and, and this gesture of hugging. Then he's hugging his wife, then he's hugging everybody else. Uh, everybody hugged everybody. He's hugging the president of Chile, uh, <laughs> but but I think that it's not an idle gesture. I mean, it's what we do. We hug people. But it's like we, we demonstrate that how dear we are to each other. We want to hold people to us. We don't shake hands, you know. Come out and shake hands with everybody. <laughs> they are hugging everybody.
2: <laughs>
0: and it really means, I think, I want to hold on to you. I almost lost you, you know, almost lost you. So And I thought about, uh, you know, thinking about patience in that situation, Like somebody said, well, the last person now, he has to wait for another day and a half. He waited 58, 68 days, and it's working. He has more hope now than two days ago that it's actually gonna work. And uh, I was uh, thinking a lot about talking about patience as a manifestation of wisdom. That I was thinking how much, we'll look at the list in a minute, but, I don't want to just be the only person who talked about that experience. What else did you think about it? Yeah. They um, have made
3: a pact among themselves to only um, together tell their story and not do it separately and one get more money or something. So they're all going to write their story
2: of the together and reap the benefits of that together.
0: That's That's actually lovely. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually lovely.
2: That no one should profit more than anybody else mm-hmm. and that they agreed that they could all live their lives without having to work again if they stuck together as a group. Mm-hmm. And they asked for a lawyer to draw up a document so that they could sign it before they came up. Mm-hmm. That That's fabulous.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's fabulous. I think
1: what struck me is how the whole world is watching and how out of tragedy is something that's bringing all of us together like this talk today is probably going on in many other places about how people do pull together in tragedy. You talked about the thousand people, but I
0: think so many of us really care about what's happening. I think that's true. Do you know, there was a a line that's in my mind from a mine disaster that happened um, 10 years ago probably where... um, miners were rescued ultimately from a, a mine cave in that had flooded and so that not only were they were down there four or five days then they were rescued but they were standing all the time in cold water up to here the whole time in the dark in cold water with water that rose up to here and didn't rise further it's like the it's like the most terrifying kind of Edgar Allan Poe, Kai, Kai, um, uh, but the line that I remember is one person said, you know, we were standing there in the dark, and suddenly something banged into me, and it was a lunchbox. It was a metal lunchbox, it was somebody's lunchbox, and I snapped it open, and I could, and there was a sandwich in it, intact, in in a plastic sandwich bag. And he said, so I. Uh, I opened, the, I opened the sandwich, and I took a bite, and I passed it to my buddies. And I thought to myself, that's what human beings do. When you know, they're they all starving, you take a bite, and you pass it to your buddies. You don't eat up the whole thing. And it's the same. I'm very, very happy to hear that, about they made that thing, they passed it to a lawyer. Um, the television channels said, this is not being produced by any television channel. This is being produced, that will now then have the circulation rights and all of that and make it into a mini-series. This is being produced by the government of Chile. And they were very clear about it, they took it over. They let the television cameras in, but the whole thing belongs to the government of Chile. Somebody came up in that capsule and they said, what's he saying? He's singing the Chilean national anthem. You know, it's... it's, it's, um, yeah, Marty. What?
1: Um, two things that I heard struck me. One of the wives was asked, you know, the stupid reporter question, "How are you feeling?" <laughs> um, and she obviously was very happy. Her husband had come up, but she added, "I won't be completely happy until every one of them is up."
0: Yeah.
1: So it was just again, you know, that that we're family. that yeah. we're, we're all together here.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: And and Mario, who they're uh, the second guy up. They're nicknaming him Super Mario. Um, <laughs> he he did give a teensy little interview, and um, he said he met uh, while he was down there. He met God, and he met the devil, but God won. Uh, <laughs> so I thought that was you know that's our human nature yeah. to be discouraged yeah. and scared and, 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 and fearful and think we'll not yeah. make it. And but the triumph of of hope.
0: Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Susan, what were you going to say? Living, yeah. I heard that they were asked what was the one word that describes the experience, and I said camaraderie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. the only little dispute they had was who was going to be the last person out because mm-hmm. they wanted to be in the beginner's book of records as being the longest
1: person. Out <laughs> 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 and just a minor correction, Sylvia the first four who came out. Um, were not necessarily the healthiest, but they were the most experienced. Ah. So that if anything happened along the way, they could report about it, or they could help, or they could you know, deal with whatever might happen. Uh, then the next ten were the ones who were the weakest, yeah, or had um, the biggest challenges. Yeah. And then, I believe, uh, by seniority, but I'm not quite sure how I was finishing up. The youngest one down there was 19, and the word is that he had some of the the, the biggest emotional challenges or adjustment challenges, because the others were the old pros in a way, yeah. although nobody had gone through this, but,
0: yeah. but he was new and yeah. youngest, but he made it too. So. Yeah. What were you going to say, Nancy?
3: Well, a couple things. One, I just—earlier when you were talking about chronic illness or tragedies on and this relates to the same thing. I just think the situation itself is not a gift, but there is so much beautiful mm-hmm. gifting within it. Um, and I just see that theme over and over and over again. Just I have spinal stenosis and really severe back pain all the time. And there was like a time during the past our week where I just had to sit down and cry with tears of pain and frustration. I would have preferred it be different on the other hand, it was really good for the group to see that it wasn't easy for me either and for them to be able to take care of me in mm-hmm. a certain way and to be concerned about how I was doing. And the same with the my—I mean, the, the incredible swelling of support throughout the world, although we all wish the original condition
1: yeah.
3: hadn't happened. But the other thing, the, the camaraderie in the community, one of the things that I... Really strive for in the past, our thing is the building of community mm-hmm. and even finishing the swim all together. And we had a beautiful experience, but a couple people broke out of the community and they did put their personal achievement ahead of the collective. Mm-hmm. And I find myself reassured by this discussion today because I've been over and over the last couple days, like how can I present this? Am I wrong in going for that community thing? That to me is the the only way communities sustain. It's the only way especially Mm -hmm. tribal communities will sustain is if they all work together and support Mm -hmm. one another. Mm -hmm. And I'm so reassured to hear how valuable that is because it keeps me rededicated to my commitment Mm -hmm. to work a little harder on those glitches where
0: we didn't quite have a solid community. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to think too, and I'm touched by that because I'm interested to think that, you know, the all for one and one for all are really, uh, and that, that the human need also that springs out in people, is, I'm going to be the best and the most famous, I'll really get there first, and then I'll be with the community or something. The, the however that gives us, power or supremacy or book of records, or uh, and that it's really something to say uh, I, uh, I uh, uh, it's not that I lose myself. When people say the spiritual practice has to do with losing your ego, I think that's a very big mistake. I need my ego to remember how to drive and what to do at a red light or a green light and where to go home at the end of the day. But I don't need to have my ego to keep me separate from the community of human beings that's living this life for me. So it's not that I think I'm my next door neighbor, but that uh, to keep myself in the community of human beings struggling in my way as they are, in their way, not better than or worse than or. Yeah, go ahead.
2: I was just glancing at the article by Paul Ekman and Shambhala Sun, whom I know slightly about, Darwin's little-known views on sympathy and empathy and compassion leading to survival. Oh. And I'm just struck also about how those moments of adversity seem to have good and evil on either side, and it can go mm-hmm. you know, either way.
0: I've been reading a book called um, um, The Compassion Instinct. And I think it's just come out. And it's, um, it's an edited book of, um, of pieces um, by, by, by scientists about evidences of compassion as instinctive in human beings, and especially in, in uh, species not human beings. We're talking about um yeah, we have time talking talking about um evidence of empathy in other species uh and somebody's uh uh um, so so and so who did study a research psychologist visited people's homes to find out how young children respond to family members' emotions. She instructed people to pretend to sob or cry and found that household pets seemed as worried as the children were by the feigned distress of family members. The pets hovered nearby and put their heads in their owner's laps. The most compelling evidence for the strength of animal empathy came from a group of uh, psychiatrists led by Jules Masserman, Northwestern University. The researchers reported in 1964 in the American Journal of Psychiatry that rhesus monkeys refused to pull a chain that devel- delivered food to themselves if doing so gave a shock to a companion. One monkey stopped pulling the chain for 12 days mm-hmm. after witnessing another monkey receiving a shock. They were literally starving themselves to avoid shocking. Another monkey. Uh, I'll read you one more. This is a this is an an anthrop primatologist who is talking about her uh, uh, chimpanzee. Um, chimpanzee. Hmm. Uh, yeah, a young chimpanzee, Joni, who. Uh, was raised at the beginning of the last century in Moscow. She analyzed Joni's behavior in the minutest detail, discovering that the only way to get him off the roof of her house after an escape, if he escaped from her, was by arousing sympathy. She said, if I pretend to be crying, close my eyes and weep, Joni immediately stops his plays or any other activities, quickly runs over to me, all excited and shagged, from the most remote places in the house, such as the roof or the ceiling of his cage, from where I could not drive him down despite my persistent calls and entreaties, he hastily runs around me as if looking for the offender. <laughs> looking looking at my face, he tenderly takes my chin in his palm, lightly touches my face with his finger as though trying to understand what's happening, and turns around, clenching his toes into firm fists. So he's going to take care of her. Um Children in nursery schools, every they've done, seen this and reported it now for decades. Children in preschools and, and two and three year olds, at the sound of somebody crying, another two or three year old crying, will drop what they're doing and go find out who's in trouble. And often will bring something, will bring their toy or whatever there is amusing them at that point to that person. And it looks like the impulse is to console to, to recognize this person's having a hard time. How can I console them? I bring you a doll. I bring you this. I bring you that. I think that the impulse to console. Um, I think it, it, we see it all the time. Tell me an example. You go through a supermarket line and there's a, a baby, all you know, upset and huffed up, you know, crying in a and its mother is distressed, and you start to talk to it. You say, oh, sweetheart, you'll be home soon. It's okay. Don't you start to do that? Mm -hmm, You know, you talk to it like it's going to hear a consoling voice that's going to say, be patient, things are going to be all right. You can't say to the, be patient, things are going to be all right. You have to make those sounds that make it sound reassuring. When you wake up from a surgery, the first thing that you hear is you're going to be fine. You know, you don't even know. What the results are, but at that moment you're gonna be. Everything's fine, you're back. Everything's fine. Then you'll hear all the the small print afterwards, <laughs> but 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 everything's fine is a reassuring thing to hear.
2: It's interesting how with Haiti and with um, what's going on in in uh, with the miners is so different than how. We collectively responded to Pakistan, <coughs> and that you know our collective media presentation of that country and um, our beliefs of their difference and as an enemy of sorts, you know, held back so much compassion. Mm. And it seems like a missed opportunity.
0: Yeah. It, and and I I think you're quite right. Tell me your name again. Nicholas. Nicholas. Yesterday, someone sent me an email. I meant to bring it, and I didn't. I'll bring it next week, but I'll, it's all right. I'll tell you the results before I bring it. It was a columnist. Um, it was an op-ed column in the New York Times where it said, take this test <coughs> about religion. Did you take it? Yeah. had 13 questions about religion. Did you take the test, Joe? <laughs> it, it, it said things like, um, in uh, what religious tradition says it's all right uh, to stone to death a bride that is found to be not virginal on her wedding day? And then it gives you the, a number of choices. And uh, there are always uh, Christianity and Judaism and Islam and often Chapter in verse St. Paul, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and uh, I, I got—I I didn't do terrible on it, but I got—I got nine out of thirteen. But uh, some of them I guessed because I thought, "Aha! They're wanting me to guess this, but it's probably not. It's probably that <laughs> because the notion that we have that Islam is somehow more less compassionate, more warlike, less forgiving." It, you know depending on what scriptures you pick it's definitely not true. The word Islam means peace and I think you're right because we are we are socialized to think oh these are my people I take care of them those are not my people those are people I don't like how to have the kind of mind that says those are people um, I want to talk about a specific other thing, but we'll keep in mind. you go home and see them. I think every time something like that happens and we look around and we see here are these people reunited. You know, I imagine in the course of the next year, all of these reunited miners will have some uh, little squabble with their wife.
2: But not today, not today.
0: You know, when it becomes clear that someone is totally dear to you, uh, then you know the fact that they didn't make their side of the bed up in the morning, or they you know they didn't pick up their clothes, or they put their dishes in the sink and left, or whatever it is. There's a line in the in the in the Dhammapada that says, "Whoever recognizes impermanence ceases to be contentious." Mm-hmm. It's probably the most important line. You realize we're all very frail. Any minute we could lose anybody. You don't want to waste a minute of it on having a fight about who did the dishes or who didn't. I mean, it's all right to say, you know, it's a, I'd really like you to know that I'd, I'd like it a lot if you did the dishes. I mean, you could you could tell people a piece of news that would be good for them to know. But... There's a there's a there's a rubric that comes from the Vinaya, the the monks' uh, rules, and it says before admonishing anyone, admonishing means t- scolding, telling them off. Before admonishing anyone, one should uh, one should reflect that thus, in due season will I talk, not out of season. It means saying, you know, sweetheart, is this a good time to talk? Not uh in um, gently will i speak not harshly in truth will i speak not in falsehood if, and i take that to mean we say things like you always do that you never do that <laughs> those are both always not true you know but uh, uh you always uh in in truth will i speak not in falsehood um for your benefit will I speak, not for your loss. And in kindness will I speak, not in anger. If you could think those five things over before admonishing. Somebody once said, you know, if you did that, you thought them over. I would never acknowledge, acknowledge no one could ever admonish. I said, well, that might be good, you know. It would save a lot more relationships if people didn't <laughs> admonish. That doesn't mean you can't tell people. It'd be great if we both took turns on the dishes or whatever. I want to talk about the paramitas in general because I seriously think that there's a way of looking at them that's so helpful. My my sense of them is that uh, when people start to study Buddhism in the West, they primarily are introduced to meditation techniques, to mindfulness, and to metta practice, and uh, the emphasis on uh, the perfection of a good heart, really the kindness that we can do in life, is, um, it's not unsung, but it's undersung. Uh, I think there's all kinds of sociological reasons for that to have happened. It was introduced to, uh, primarily into a youngish, hippish community, primarily in the late 70s, 80s, and 90s, And it was a time of questioning authority. Don't tell me rules. I'm leaving my old religion. (coughs) Who wants to do a set of rules? Don't trust anybody over 30. The rules, are—you I mean, I was in that period. You were too. There was a time of, uh, I don't wanna be in a. nobody tell me any rules, I make my own rules. But when you think about it, uh, most Buddhists outside of the United States, Buddhists in Asia, who will think of themselves as practicing Buddhists, primarily have a practice of honoring their ancestors and the Buddha by leading kind and generous lives. Their biggest practice is the practice of generosity, taking care of people, not only taking care of the monks, but taking care of each other. Think mostly of the paramitas in terms of truthfulness and uh, uh, patience and... uh, uh, all of the moralities as way as ways to happiness. This morning, for those of us who were here early, when we chanted the precept uh, uh, for behavior, I undertake the precept to avoid, to refrain from harming living beings or from taking that which is not freely given or from sexual misconduct, which we understand as meaning using our sexuality in ways that are exploitive or abusive, not particular rules about who does what with whom and under what circumstances. Legalities. Um, I am so uh, interested in the Supreme Court's decision yesterday to uh, make, do you know about the Supreme Court deciding that don't ask, don't tell is unconstitutional? It wasn't it
2: wasn't Supreme Supreme judge. Judge.
0: Federal judge. Don't ask, don't tell is unconstitutional. So there are 90 days in which the uh, administration has to figure out how to reinstate all of those service people who have been uh, obligated to leave because of that. It's it's fantastic, it's really fantastic. I think to myself, I was thinking about, it made a lot of sense to me in terms of patience you know, that uh, uh, when, uh, what, what was it that we wanted so much to have pass or not pass Proposition 8 that went the way I didn't want it to go and most of you not also? So one of my friends said, just wait, things are changing. Didn't change today, but the move is on. Women have been ordained in, uh, the, in Theravada Buddhism as of last month. And I told you about going to the ordination. Last weekend, the worldwide Soto Zen um, community met. My friend Norman Fisher was there. And for the, they agreed, in the first time in the history of Zen, that uh, they have a certain list of, uh, of um, list, lineage lists of, of the elders from the Buddha so people have gotten a scroll when they've been um, um, uh, ordained as a priest. you get a scroll of your lineage that starts with your teacher, your teacher's teacher, your teachers, 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 teacher's, teacher's all the way back to the Buddha. Uh, however many guesses they had to make in the early years, it's nevertheless, there's a lineage. there's a list of lineage, and they're all men. But as of last week's Soto Zen meeting, they have now made another list, after a lot, a lot of research, of women. And they have a lineage of women. And they will now, when people take um, priest vows as women, as they as they can, get a scroll of the lineage of women. And the, and the men will get the scroll of the lineage of women. And so that everybody can read the letter lineage of men and the lineage of women slowly, slowly. Mountains are quietly getting moved. It wasn't on the front page of the New York Times about the Soda Zen, but it's changing. Things are changing. So here we go. I think to myself, when I, the, the sixth of these precepts, may these precepts of mine be a condition for the attainment of Nibbana. I think I read as, may these precepts be a condition for happiness. It seems to me very clearly that these are the choices that we make in order to be happy. It's often translated that as that. Uh, uh, the, the translation from um, the of the fifth one is also made. May these precepts be the condition of happiness, which I suppose could be nibbana. But to uh, the, what the Buddha called the bliss of blamelessness, to act in a way that doesn't cause harm for yourself suffering for yourself or anybody else which requires thinking things over which requires patience you know i was thinking three things are true about all of the parameters they're all of them counteractives to impulsivity you know we're pretty impulsive as, as human beings you know i think that as a species we're still learning to keep it together. <laughs> I think we're kind of going in the right direction. People will say, well, look, we have monumental mass destruction now. but I th- And I know that that's true. We we can do a great deal of harm without even going any place now. But I think by and large that uh, that's a very great <laughs> way no, it's very, no, it's fine, it's fine. Somebody in the class once had one that was a rooster crowing. Uh, but I actually think that as a as a species even though there are wars happening and terrible instruments of destruction, I think that the sent I think that as a rule we've we've moved ahead. The, the you know in, in various ways more awareness of other people, less... I mean, there are inroads in xenophobia, I mean, in, in seeing others, other people as the stranger. I, mean, I have such faith, maybe maybe it's a naive faith, but I have tremendous faith in the Internet in people sitting all over the world somewhere looking at what's going on in Chile and feeling those, those Chileans are just like me. They love their people, they're happy to get out, uh, somebody said this morning, there were a number of American scientists and doctors and engineers who went down to help out with the project, but they were not anywhere there near the the event last night, that they went to Santiago to watch it on TV because they wanted it to be a Chilean event. And uh, that seems like a very humble, correct thing to do. So In fact, maybe it's naive, maybe. I am also reading that book that James said we should all read called Earth, which is very, very alarming about the situation that the Earth is in. And it isn't an alarming situation. I'm not suggesting that that's not true. But I think that there are so many people who want to do the right thing and who care for each other. And I think that stopping what's happening to the Earth is going to depend on people wanting to take care of each other. Not because we're not going to be able to say, "Well, your house will be underwater, but mine won't be. but we're going to breathe the same air and eat the same fish out of the same polluted rivers if there are any fish left. It's not a world that's your your world and my world. it's our world. And I think people are starting to see that. But I th- so I think that's what I wanted to say that I think that from uh, from our beginnings uh, uh, as early primates, I think we're beginning to pull it in that aggressive urge, uh, or at least realize that we should be pulling it in, that aggressive urge. I, uh, I saw The Met on HD. Did anybody go to Duss Rheingold last week? The new series of The Met on HD has just begun. And the first uh, opera was Das Reingold. And if you, it, you, you really have to like opera, and, and I do. And you have to know uh, Wagner a little bit, uh, and I do. And I've seen it a lot, so I know different performances. And I thought it was fantastic. And it, it's a big screen, so everything is l- literally larger than life. Um, and Wotan, who's the king of the gods, early on in this first of four uh, operas that is going to end up in the downfall of the gods, so you know the whole story to begin with, sings out at some point early on to set the stage for the whole thing. Rage and desire consume me. And I think that's it. That's everybody's problem. That's the problem (laughs) of the whole world. Actually, Wagner was quite interested in Buddhism, but it's, it's not a Buddhist idea. Rage and desire, lust and de- uh, lust lust for power, lust for lust for sensuality and sexuality, lust for uh, lust for battle. you can just say lust, desire consumes me all of those desires that get out of control that uh, I wonder if I'm carrying it with me uh. I didn't think I would, but I usually have this carry. I'm carrying it with me. It's a cartoon from years ago. This is uh, Ziegler. And I don't know if you can see it, it's three Olympic athletes standing on that podium that they stand on when they're getting those ribbons around them. Can you not see? I'll tell you what's there. Here is the, the third place and the second place and the first place guy. And you know, they always stand there so nice, the three of them you know, looking happy. In this one, the second, the guy with the second place medal has just hauled off and socked the guy on the top, who, uh, and this third guy is looking quite astounded. Yeah, pass it around. And I, I think it's actually meant to say, I've carried around for years, because I think it's meant to say that's probably how they're feeling. This guy in, who's, in the, who's in first place who has beat him by one hundredth of a second, <laughs> that in that moment, he actually feels, <sighs> but he's standing there, ni- the thing that I think about it, is he's standing there nicely on the podium. We learned how to keep it together. We're not what we used to call when I was a child, a sore or a loser, right. by and large, not in public. Anyway, we keep yeah, it together. Yeah. But we feel like that. We feel, ooh, I should have won, but I didn't. So that that instinct to pull it together and behave yourself yes. which in the long run saves your lives, saves the lives of the community. So I think that 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 uh, ray lust and desire consume me is Votan saying, This is the problem of the world and it's gonna be the downfall of the world by the time four operas go by. It will be. Uh, <laughs> In a in a monumentally crashing way, you can catch that opera. By the way, next Wednesday night at the Lark, at six thirty, if you want, it's an amazing experience. Um, the first thing about all the parameters is that they have to do with holding some impulse in control. When we're impatient, we're it's a, it's a, it's an aversive. Uh, it's an aversive response. You know, what do you mean that the, the, it's not back, my sweater? that was supposed to be back here today. I have to wear it tonight. Why isn't it here? I could make a scene in this dry cleaning store. But you know I could make all the scenes in the world. The sweater will not emerge. And everybody will be upset and the dry cleaner as well. And me also, because I make a fool out of myself and I'll feel bad later. <laughs> so that at that point, the, the urge to say it's not fair, it's supposed to be here, it's, it should be here, it's not here. Yeah. There's a way in which patience is a form of wisdom. It's not here. That's all. It's just not here. Uh, let's think if we can think of another one. I was going to say it's important for me to say about there all the parameters are a uh, manifestation of um, the antidote, the counter movement to greed and hatred, but also greed, hatred, and delusion, because they're all the counteractive to delusion, because it's delusive to think that they ever that things should be what something else. We it's not delusive to think I wish they were other than they are, but they are the way they are. And that piece of wisdom is so easily lost. It's not right. It's not fair. It's what it is. Now what should we do? That's one. I want to tell you my two others, and then we'll go on next week with it. I think they're all relational. If you look at your list, take them home and think about them. Because they're all things that you could be in relationship with yourself about, but you could be in relationship with somebody else about. You think, well, loving kindness is relational, relational is with somebody else. But it's also with yourself. You know, that maybe the primarily with yourself. But they're relational. It's a, it's a connecting, uh, they are connecting behaviors. The one that's the least uh, easy to see, maybe, is wisdom. You say, well, what's the, what's the relational in wisdom? I'm not sure, I have to think about that. You can think about that as homework. But they connect. And I was thinking about connection. You know, another story, I want to tell you this story today, and we'll do more parameters next week, because I just like this story so much, and I was I was meditating on it, kind of like a koan of how to tell it to you. So the Giants have clinched this series, in case you didn't know about it, or watched the final game in Atlanta. And uh, how many people watched the final game in Atlanta? It was a good game. And you think people get so excited about having won. And again, it's always, I have a pesky mind, you know. I, you know, I, I already tell you, I'm, I'm rejoicing for the miners and a pesky mind to say, why are they in the mines? Why are we doing coal? Da, da, da. I, am, I was very happy that the Giants won. And I'm thinking, why are they wasting this champagne, pouring it all over the place? It's a big waste. And it's not so nice to show all those bottles of alcohol and to associate alcohol with having a good time. That's not such a good... Anyway, apart from all of that, they interviewed somebody who I heard talk, and I wrote it down because somebody was talking about why it was a great experience for him, really a great super experience for him. He said, my father died last summer. He was a lifelong Giants fan. I was an, always an A's fan. I switched over when my father died because I missed him terribly. And I felt like something was healed when the Giants won. I felt like we did that together. So I'm thinking about, wow, you know, how'd that work? Then I listened to a commentator uh I guess, so comment, commenting on what that person said. And he said, um, he said, well, he said, I get that. He said, uh, life is meaningless and painful. He said, baseball is meaningless and connecting. And uh, I thought it was very interesting for a sports commentator you know, who had been in there commenting on the game. And then I thought, it is, well, it does connect people together. Also, you know, we are the fans of this or that. But I thought, how, how did it happen? And if I was going to say in terms of paramitas, how was that a healing experience for this guy? And maybe I was thinking, can you think which paramita, by the way? I'll tell you so it's not so So it's not so because reti- I think I know the answer. I think... People clearly got very excited about it, whether or not you think, and look, there's so many important things in the world get excited about baseball game, whoa. Clearly very, very excited. Mind filled with energy. My dad and I, we were baseball fans. Maybe the mind lifted up with energy at that moment can actually hold or remember or connect with the fundamental wisdom that everything that arises passes away and that the father's death is one of those things that arose and passed away. That it becomes not a not sad thing, he wishes a father a but it's, it becomes an all right thing. It's like something is out of our mind, I can't stand it, I can't stand it. Yes, I can. It happened. And that that healing is when we let something into our mind that we previously couldn't let it into our mind. And I think that sometimes what we need to have is a lifted up enough mind so that it lets things in. There's a line from um, Christian scripture that says we are called up. Maybe, probably from Paul, uh, that it, it says we are called upon to meet each moment with joy. And I and I've I've thought about it a lot over my life, and I I saw it written on a card in a retreat center 30 years ago as I was doing my walking meditation in a Catholic retreat center, and I thought, what on earth could that mean? All right, I get the part about we are called upon to meet each minute, each moment. Called upon to meet each moment with joy. I can see that about mindfulness. Called upon to meet each moment, alert in this world, aware of what's going on. Okay, I get that part. But with joy, give me a break. You know, there's not. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of things that we don't meet. You know, that we're not happy to have happen. And I think if it's Paul who said it, what they're meaning is that somewhere or another. The awareness of the presence of God, however you understand that in your life, and the living presence of God in all of our lives, however you understand God, is uh, so trumps anything else that happens that when we connect with that with joy, we can hold everything that else that happens. And I really, in the, every once in a while, I actually actually get that, so that. So that it's not just a dreary thing to say at funerals the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. It's a fact. And however you understand that the you know, creation giveth and taketh away. So very, very no, 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 that closing my ears. Okay, it's true. And it's amazing. And things come and they're taken away, and then we have a new world and a new world and a new world. And here we are in the twenty first century, with women bhikkhunis and lists of female ancestors in the Soto Zen, and um, and a lot of people who are interested in cleaning up the world so that it'll be a habitable planet, and people who are still willing to say give peace a chance on their bumper sticker. <laughs> so that was what I wanted to say about uh, the, the, all of the paramitas are the counteractives to impulsivity. They're the counteractives to greed, hatred, and delusion. They're relational. And they make life meaningful. When we're doing something, I think that, that well, you have to do good to feel good is one of those old adages like a stitch in time. But when you're doing something good, when, when seven Native Americans are swimming across the bay and you're involved in doing it, you're not thinking about the meaning of life or whether or not life has meaning or not. or you know, You're know, you just doing it because it's what's, what we should be doing. And uh, the young woman I heard about who's working with AIDS orphans in Malawi is not thinking about the meaning of life. She's thinking about how meaningful her life is doing that at this point, so that there are millions, millions of AIDS offerings and not so many millions of people working with them, but some people working with them, that there are people who care. I like thinking that we're part of that community of carers. Sometimes people say to me, you sound so hopeful. Do you really think the world's going to get it together before it destroys itself? I said, you know, I don't know, really. How can I know? I don't know. But even if this whole experiment in life doesn't succeed, and in the end it's all the twilight of the gods and going up and whatever, Mm -hmm. there's going to be two communities. There's going to be the communities of consolers who know how, and the the rest of the people, and I want to be among the consolers. It's not even like from... That's not it's because I think it'll be a better place to be. But I hope it doesn't come to that. So thirty seconds of wishing that it doesn't come to that and that everyone is consoled and every one of those minors comes out. And I love it that they signed that attorney paper. They had plenty of time to think it over down there. They had plenty of time to think it over there. Do you remember when we got arrested together and we made the decision nobody gets out unless we all get out? Yeah. That was you know, yeah. that's great. <laughs> that's it. That's it. May all beings everywhere take care of each other. And I'll see you next week.